0: People that look at, casually look at open source free software and think, well, because you're supposed to share and do it for people's goodwill, does that seem somewhat communist? What's your response? Absolute nonsense. It makes me really angry when people do that. Communism is an ideology that forces people to share. If you don't share, you get thrown in jail or killed. You, you go to a gulag and end up in a mass grave with a bullet in the back of your head. Open source is not communism because it doesn't force people. I wrote a paper called The Cathedral and the Bazaar which was my observations, my anthropological analysis of what it was that made the open source world work. We didn't call it that then. We were still using the term free software primarily. So it was my observation of what made the free software world work and why we were able to produce extremely high quality software in spite of constantly violating all of the standard rules of software engineering. In that paper I was setting up a contrast between two different styles of development, two opposed styles of development. One which is the conventional closed development style, which I I called the cathedral style. In that one you have tight specification of objectives, um, small project groups which are run in a fairly hierarchical, authoritarian manner, uh, and you have long release intervals. On the other hand, what I identified as happening in the Linux world was a much more peer-to-peer, decentralized market or bazaar-like style in which you have very short release intervals and constant solicitation of feedback from people who are formally outside the project. A very intense intense peer review process. And The startling thing was that the more I looked at this, the more it seemed that trading away all the supposed advantages of conventional closed development for that one single advantage of massive independent peer review actually seem to win actually seem to get you good results
1: all right uh, Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin podcast. This is your co-host, Pierre Oshard, and I'm joined here with Michael Goldstein. Michael, how are you? Howdy, I'm doing fantastic. Awesome, and today we have a very special guest. Kale, how are you? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Kale Rosenbaum has written an excellent new book called Grokking Bitcoin. And you're, you've been studying and You know involved with bitcoin for quite a while do you want to give your background and uh what what brought you to writing a book which is a huge undertaking and a huge achievement yeah uh
2: i I, i've been working as a software engineer for 20 years mainly doing java code for uh, you know government bodies and uh private companies xml in xml out you know um but I've always uh, loved you know, the um, grassroot movements that does things better, uh, like Linux, and like BitTorrent, and now uh, Bitcoin. Um, and I, I've always been kind of a, a pain in the ass to people about those things, you know, hassling people with Linux, trying to install Linux on their computers uh, in the early days, you know. Uh, and the same now with Bitcoin, I'm just a complete uh, yeah, uh, pain in the ass for, them, for my friends and family. <laughs> um,
1: Evangelizing. Yeah, you could say that.
2: I'm, I'm beginning to calm down now a bit, actually. I, I, I'm not trying to do that anymore. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah. I discovered Bitcoin, I think, in 2012. I heard, it, heard about it for the first time. It was a friend who bragged about uh, writing some uh, Drupal Integration with Bitcoin or something like that. Uh, and I remember I, I remember watching a, a Linux show a, 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 or listening to a Linux podcast called, called uh, the Linux Action Show. And that guy, he, uh, Chris, his name was Chris on that show. He started a, a podcast called Plan B. I think it was I it was the first Bitcoin podcast I heard. Uh, that was before. Let's talk Bitcoin. You know. um, so, that that podcast really got me interested, uh, and I you know checked it out and tried to learn a bit and bought some, and uh, but I re- didn't really get it then. <laughs> it took me a
1: while to actually
2: grok Bitcoin. <laughs> um, but
1: it, it's interesting what, how yeah. there's like a process of becoming a Bitcoiner. Um, and the the enthusiasm often comes ahead of actually understanding Bitcoin. Like I was excited yeah. about Bitcoin long before I even understood why it worked <laughs> or, or what yeah. cryptography was. Likewise, yeah.
2: I, I was just excited that 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 you could build this system that nobody could turn turn off. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't understand how it worked, of course. Uh, but it, you know, I was intrigued by it, and. Uh, wanted to learn more um, so um, I learned through various blog posts and uh, uh, forums like everybody else I guess uh, the white paper of course I remember having a speci- especially hard time actually understanding how transactions were linked together or how, how, how they how, how the transactions themselves worked. Uh, I remember the, the looking at the white paper I just just didn't didn't quite get it uh i i used i used a a youtube channel called con academy i i don't know if you're familiar with it but they have an excellent excellent way of uh, uh, explaining bitcoin so i used that
3: uh i remember they they got they they got on that on the ball with that pretty early on too that was uh, around 2013 2014 that they put out that really excellent video series
2: yeah it's it, it was excellent uh so um I was really glad about that. <laughs> and then, uh, then when I started actually grasping it, I mean the, the, the joy of actually understanding understanding the system actually beat the joy of having the system <laughs> somehow. Uh, so I was I was really thrilled when I finally got it uh, and you know got the big pieces together. Uh, that that uh, that feeling was priceless. To actually understand the money, uh, I never understood money before, but this is the first time I actually could understand money. And I think that goes for a lot of people in this space.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was I was watching yesterday a movie that's it's like ten years old now. It's called District Nine, and mm-hmm. it's about aliens coming to Earth. And I was thinking like Bitcoin is like alien technology, and like we're, we stumbled across it and.
3: Everyone's trying to figure out how to use it. Yeah. It's very powerful. We stand outside like playing musical notes at it, trying to get it to communicate with us. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, and I I, I think too that um, like Bitcoin offers, because because once you do understand the blockchain construct um, and how the transactions work and all of that, and then you're able to use that as the reference point for modeling a money. It makes all other monies seem that much more ridiculous because when you actually try to map the Federal Reserve um, or the European Central Bank onto a blockchain model, which you you kind of can, except there's like one signing party. Um, yeah. and and you look at their their you know the, the inflation rate, um, but also how the how the transactions work and can be reversible or. You know, whatever once you do that, it's it's quite obvious just how elegant Bitcoin is uh, in comparison with all other monies, uh, aside from any just uh, pure you know economic benefits.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I never really understood of modern economics. It's like,
3: yeah, it's it's
2: it's Greek, and uh, uh, my common sense just tells me to keep out of it.
3: <laughs> I, I don't think but, anyone yeah. does. I don't think they understand it either. So,
2: yeah. did you see the tweet the other day from the IMF uh, where they said that uh, how, uh, how can we? Uh, I don't remember the tweet. What was now. the I
1: negative think. interest rates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: deeply negative interest. How can how can we make uh, make de- ne- deeply negative interest rates feasible? And they linked to a blog post where they basically said that they want to eradicate cash uh, in order to actually.
3: Uh, I, you they, know.
2: Had, they had some, uh, some very weird scheme for doing that. Uh, so it, it just, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty much afraid of what's going to happen with the monetary system.
3: Yes, although uh, the the bright side is that we live in a world in which our enemies sell our products way better than we could ever hope to ourselves. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so that's good.
1: Yeah, and it's like the same thing with like the stable coins and the tether drama. It's like, yeah, that's why you shouldn't trust third parties, like we've been saying for a while now.
3: <laughs> yeah, it also seems to show just problems with uh, interfacing with the fiat system at all. Um, I'm hearing a lot of different conflicting stories about what's really happening with Tether. Ultimately, I just care about my own personal Bitcoin holdings. I wasn't using exchanges in the first place, but a lot of it seems to at least be uh, exacerbated by uh, having to have really weird banking relations because the fiat system is so difficult to work with.
1: It's like it's trust maximized. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to build trust minimized. in every aspect um kelly do you want to get into uh what what the contents of your book are and kind of where where do you see your book fitting into the uh educational ecosystem in in bitcoin yeah
2: uh, i could probably expand a bit on it. um i am when i i was contacted by by manning and they wanted to they wanted me to uh to uh, Write a book on blockchain, they said. Um, yeah. And I wrote back to them, saying politely that I, I i I'm not going to write a book on blockchain, but i I'd like to write a book on bitcoin so uh, and that's that's where it started and i I saw this I saw this gap in the book space i had we had this uh, programmer book mastering Bitcoin, which is great, uh, and then we have a lot of books for economists, visionaries and and those kind of people kinds of people uh, but there were no uh, good books explaining the, the technology on a deep level uh, for non programmers technically interested non programmers uh, right. like most of us are I mean yeah I'm a programmer but 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 uh, I would still like a, a book that's uh, more high level than code uh, so I, I wrote the book that I wanted to read myself uh, the, with a with type of learning style that I, I needed myself when I learned Bitcoin. Uh, I was a bit in, uh, inspired by, by the Khan Academy uh, videos as well. But yeah, so I, I'm mainly targeting, actually, uh, non-programmers, technically interested non-programmers because I, I think those people need to understand the system that they are interacting with in order to make you know good decisions on what what uh, code to run on their machines, uh, what upgrades to to adopt uh, they they should be able to actually you know vet ideas uh, see through scams, see through uh, uh, deception or uh, yeah.
1: It's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so uh, Murray Rothbard talks about like the intelligent layperson was kind of his uh, target audiences because there's uh, and at the Bitcoin meetups that I organize, like I've noticed this as well is that you have people who come from all different kinds of backgrounds. Like, you know, some of them are like plastic surgeons. You know, so like they're obviously very intelligent. You know, they uh, highly trained professionals, but they're not software developers. But they're fascinated by Bitcoin. And so yeah. uh, th- this, is, this is perfect for them.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And, and, I, and I honestly think also that that, uh, that is great for programmers because uh, a programming book might not be the best way to start learning about Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, you, you, somehow right. you need to get the, an abstract idea anyway uh before you can start being productive with code in bitcoin so so you need the abstract view of it of course you can go with uh, mastering bitcoin or or uh jimmy song's new book uh, i haven't read that one
3: but uh i just assume it's very good it is (laughs) Uh, okay good (laughs) but but it's definitely i mean yeah i think you're right like it's definitely not something i would throw at that intelligent person uh because you do need that you know you need a, a background in programming um it, it really helps to have a at least a basic understanding of Bitcoin to get into, uh, as opposed to, uh, ha- having a way to sort of, uh, you know, jump in and kind of just, uh, absorb yourself in the high level, um, you know, information. Yeah.
1: What What were some like surprising things that you learned as you were writing the book?
2: Um, The pricing things. I
1: well, I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or, or your favorite thing that you learned? Uh, some interesting new facts that you uncovered.
2: I am. Um, I don't know. I just I just like the interaction with Manning uh, very much. Uh, this is not answering your question, but but no, that's fine. <laughs> I, I like. Uh, I. I. You know, I, I drafted a chapter and we talked about it and I threw it o- overboard and uh, started over more or less <laughs> a few times. Um, and I, I liked that process very well because, well, they were ruthless with the, the criticism, uh, but, but they were very... The end result for each chapter was very good. I mean we we polished it very well, and they they their input was so valuable. I would never have been able to written this without you know, you know constant uh, interaction with us. Uh, i had I had a development editor called Christina Her name was Christina Taylor. Uh, she had so much good feedback because you know she's not a Bitcoiner, but she read the stuff and you know uh, told me everything she got stuck on. And then we, then we had a, another guy called Bert, Bert Bates. Uh, he, uh, he was like a pedagogy oracle at Manning. Mm. He was absolutely fantastic in you know, uh, helping me boil down to concrete examples. Uh, I learned a lot about uh, about uh, external and, and intrinsic and extrinsic uh, cognitive load. Uh, when you when you when you're going to teach a concept, uh, you you shouldn't start out with a broad uh, general description. You should start out with a concrete example of something the uh, the system does a thousand times a day. Alice sends a payment to Bob. That's you know. Uh, so start with concrete example and then expand and make it more and more abstract or uh, gen- generic, general.
1: Yeah, and um, that seems especially important with Bitcoin because there's so many different moving parts of the system that interact in, like, complex manners.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that's that's why I wrote the book as I did. I don't know if you, I'm not sure if you are aware, but, but the, the book starts with a very simple, you know, simplistic spreadsheet system. That everybody everybody can understand. We call it the cookie t- tokens uh, spreadsheet. Cookie tokens, so it keeps track of cookie tokens. Like uh, it's it's uh, an account based system actually. So we have this uh, we have this girl Lisa who works at at the office where you work, and you have a you have a office cafeteria, and you have uh, you have this spreadsheet that Lisa is the only one who can edit, but anyone can access it or view it. So when you when you when you want to buy a cookie at the cafeteria, you can pay pay the cafe through through this uh, through an email to Lisa. So you send Lisa, the miner, uh, an email just asking her to move. Cookie tokens to the cafe. And that's that's a very simple start starting point that everybody can understand. You don't introduce any news, any new systems there. And then we expand on that in, in each chapter, adding new technology as we go, uh, so that each new topic is taught on its own without having to, to, you know, to have the full context of Bitcoin. You don't have to have the full context of Bitcoin. You can just focus on, on the subject at, at hand right now.
1: So, so we it. have a, a listener question that I mm-hmm. think goes with this. What, what does grokking mean?
2: All right, uh, yeah, grokking. This is a this is a series of books from Manning. They have uh, several grokking books. They have grokking algorithms, algorithms, grokking deep learning, uh, grokking this and grokking that. Um, and grokking is is from a novel, from a science fiction novel from I think sixties, called uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, and uh, the the word grok turns up there for the first time. And it, you, it, the, the meaning of the word differs a bit from time to time in the book, but usually it, it means to, to, to have a very deep understanding of something, emotional deep understanding. You, you become one with the subject. Was, um, and that's, and, and computer science has kind of you know adopted that word. You see Grok a lot in uh, th- Technical uh, discussions.
3: Yeah, I guess you could say it's uh, it's like having cultivated a very uh, intuitive and tacit sense of the system. Exactly. Yeah. So one one thing I have a question for you as far as uh, being able to communicate these ideas to people. Uh, one thing that's kind of especially difficult in Bitcoin is there are a lot of terminologies and concepts that have a sort of uh, metaphor to them. Uh, And those metaphors are difficult to actually communicate to people in the way they think. So for instance, uh, people might confuse something like a wallet with an address or they think an address is a permanent thing, like an account, like an account number at at a bank. Um, So did you find interesting ways of trying to Get through these these linguistic hurdles and and instill new sort of uh, models uh, into the reader's mind. Yeah,
2: well, not really. Uh, I can't say I can't say that. But but I, when when there are uh, when for example for example uh, uh, a wallet is is a misnomer. It, it, it's not a good word for for. Uh, Software that keeps track of your private keys. It's not. That's not a wallet. That's a key ring um, or something like that. So, so I just mentioned that on the sidebar, saying that uh, hey, uh, okay, the the word wallet is not perfect here, but uh, but we'll have to stick with it because that's that's what people use. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I try to I I try to um, I try to keep the the lingo as is, but explain why the lingo is as it is.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it seems like, uh, I don't know how much of it was spe- Satoshi specifically, but there's just a lot of words in Bitcoin that have, like, almost, almost every word in Bitcoin has this kind of confusion around it. Uh, even something like mining, you know, yeah. mining is, is actually a rather strange word because it doesn't end once all the Bitcoins are issued. Right, right.
1: Um, and it, how did you deal with like the political controversies in Bitcoin like do you explain the the block size limit and like why why that is and different perspectives on it like how did you approach that
2: i I try to approach it from a strictly uh, technical perspective uh, i don't uh, discuss uh, the drama, and <laughs> in, in any way, I, I just describe the system as, as is, and uh, I try to be objective about it. Try to to explain why there is a block limit, and try to explain. Uh, I, maybe not why there is a block limit. I'm just trying to explain what what effect the block limit limit has, and positive and probably uh, and possibly negative too, but but mostly positive effects. <laughs> If you ask me, but so I try I I, I I try to keep discussion out of it, uh, just just explaining. The, yeah, I'll try to be objective about it. Yeah. Um, it was something else. It was uh, it escaped my mind. Sorry.
1: Well, and even more widely, like the the view that. Miners control Bitcoin versus nodes control Bitcoin versus developers control Bitcoin. Like that's that's a big controversy relating to yeah. the, like, governance in general.
2: Exactly, and I I uh, spend a fair amount on chapter 11, the last chapter, the last core chapter. Then I also have a few appendices, but the last chapter is about forkology and and um, how how different types of Bitcoin upgrades can work and not work. Uh, so uh, I kind of the conclusion of that whole chapter is is that uh, it's the users who have the power, the, the power to use whatever software they choose. Uh, so that's that's the <laughs> actually the main conclusion of the book, I guess.
1: <laughs> no, that's uh, so, great.
2: Yeah, yeah but uh, but yeah. So but I can I try to keep it uh, keep it technical only. Maybe I maybe you can see through between the lines where I stand
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I think that educating users about the upgrades that are coming will also be challenging so do you do you talk about Schnorr and other uh, upcoming updates or is it
2: no I don't uh, because it's purely speculative uh, right. we don't know if it's gonna come at all we just think so
1: and if it comes it'll be in version 2 of the book
2: yeah of course of course <laughs>
1: Great. Um so what's the what's the most uh, I guess it just goes up to Segwit in 2017 and I don't think there have been any uh protocol changes since Segwit. No, not really.
2: Uh so uh, yeah, it goes up to Segwit and how Segwit was deployed. I mean there are some great examples of what can happen during <laughs> during a, an upgrade. <laughs> there with
1: Did did you find Google. it hard to to grok the uh like how segwit functions on like a very technical level because i still don't fully understand it
2: yeah you should read chapter 10 here okay. uh, actually because I, I try i i'm really pleased that's one of the chapters i'm most proud of actually that's the that's the segwit chapter and i think i think i nailed that one actually <laughs> i'm pretty proud of it so uh, yeah i'm uh, i think i i think i did
1: i'll check it out then uh, yeah you should so just looking at the code, I wasn't able to figure it out, and then reading the BIP, I wasn't able to figure it out either. Um, so yeah. this will be very helpful.
2: I've been I've been uh, reading those BIPs multiple times over, and uh, they are really hard. I, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I had a, I struggled with it really. So I was now- there when uh, I was there when Peter Wule, uh, uh presented a SegWit in uh, in Hong Kong. That was pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, that's great. And what, what do you see as like the most important upgrades to Bitcoin that we've had? Uh, you know, aside from Segwit.
2: Um, I mean, pay to script hash was was a major leap forward, uh, but it was probably a bit rushed. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, what else? The block size limits. Was probably probably a good idea um, for uh, for decentralization. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. Because people don't really talk about P2SH today, and but at the time it was controversial. I think there were two different proposals for
3: it. I actually, I think... well, I'll push back on that. There's uh, the the sort of uh, Bitcoin. I don't know if it's as much in Bitcoin Cash, but certainly the Bitcoin SV folks do not like uh, P2SH. Um, I, don't, I don't fully understand the arguments against it. I don't know if they've even um, laid them out anywhere. Uh, but I do know that there is pushback against that. And their roadmap includes removing it.
4: Really?
2: <laughs> I, I didn't know.
1: It's probably because P2SH doesn't hold up in
3: Admiralty court. Yeah. Well, Satoshi's original vision was uh, using IP addresses, so hopefully we can just go back to that with Windows.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, And so, what what was the hardest part about writing a book?
2: Uh, I I, I think it was. uh, I think it was the constant pushback from uh, the the development editor and Bert. uh, You know, the pedagogy. That's uh, it, it. Could be hurtful, actually, but, you know. Uh, but but the uh, the end result was was good. Uh, the question was about uh, what's the hardest part, or yeah, the yeah. hardest things with writing this book. Um, that that was one thing. The other thing was actually uh, staying focused. Uh, you know, I'm a, an expert on yoke sh- shaving. I have a black belt in yoke shaving. Um, so I constantly found other stupid things to do all the time. Um, I, had, I had this nice list on my whiteboard here, uh, with a list of things I need to do before I sit down and write. I, I'll have it here somewhere. Um, yeah, uh, I should have peed. I, I need to pee before. Uh, <laughs> coffee, coffee fetched, phone in pocket on silent uh and uh, all irrelevant windows closed yeah and there was some other stuff as well so i followed that list and uh, then it went pretty smoothly after that before that before i had that list, it was just uh it was much worse so
3: it sounds like writing a book is a really good way of forcing yourself to become very disciplined
2: yeah yeah uh i'm not saying i was very disciplined no but
1: <laughs> even with that
2: list, but uh, it
1: helped. Uh, yeah. What are what are some other projects you were working on at the same time? Or that uh, you're interested in?
2: Yeah, I, I work as a consultant okay. I, within Bitcoin space. Uh, so I, I had some work in parallel there. I work usually half time uh, with some consultancy and half time with a book. Patrick. So that's what I've been doing.
1: What are you going to um, do with all the free time now?
2: I don't know. Um,
1: Start grokking I, lightning.
2: Probably something like that. I don't know. Uh, maybe,
1: maybe Netflix. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I know. I know Michael has some opinions on that.
2: Uh, you, you, yeah, yeah, you <laughs> Yeah, I know you. You think it's a waste of time, and uh,
1: I like wasting time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's well earned after you publish a book. Absolutely,
2: mm, thank you very much. Another thing that was really hard was was the production phase of the book. Um, I wrote, I wrote, I drafted the last chapter in uh, June last year. Wow. And we locked, we locked the content in June. So since then, we had, you know, only been working with production. That's copy editing, uh, illustrations, proofreading. And uh, endless uh, revisions after that, uh, s- and that process has been so so slow. Um, but again, and, and it was and it has been uh, terribly frustrating at times. Um,
3: that sounds a but, lot like software development, where it's yeah. like, yeah. You, you finish the program and then you're ready to take it, you know, to production, and then that yeah. takes you know double the time.
2: Yeah, Exactly. So yeah, but the, but the end result was was great. Was great. Um, partly because of that long time. During that time, I found several errors in my in my book. So I, I had time to fix some some uh, <clears throat> embarrassing uh, misunderstandings from my side. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, so so we, in the end, it was probably a good thing that it took this time, but. It was frustrating when it's during that time.
3: Yeah. Michael, did you have another question? Well, yeah, I had a question going back. Actually, Pierre had asked about um, covering you know, Bitcoin upgrades, um, stuff like that. I was curious if there was anything in the book um, about, for instance, like the, the 2013 uh, debatable hard fork. I know that uh, under some definitions, people don't even consider it a, a hard fork. Uh, but if there's anything about that and, you know, kind of how things can go wrong and have gone wrong.
2: Uh, what was that uh, that debatable hard work? Uh, so, the, so, the, so
3: the 2013 uh, fork was the Berkeley DB and Level DB yeah. Uh, incident.
2: Yeah. yeah, no, no, that's, uh, that's, I think that's far beyond the scope actually of the book because it doesn't help the reader to grok well. Yeah, uh, it it would help the reader to understand that that uh, consensus systems are.
3: <laughs> are really I a bit a, of an advanced consensus. topic.
1: Well, yeah. I, I think that there needs to be like a, a, and this would not be one book. This would be like a series of books about the history of Bitcoin's development itself, uh, mm. and kind of essentially doing like a forensic analysis of like the Git repo, but also all of the. Bitcoin dev mailing list conversations, and all the pull request conversations.
4: I would, I would
2: love David Harding to write that book.
1: <laughs> yes, David, do it. It would be like, at this point, I think you could do uh, like six volumes,
3: thousand pages each.
2: Yeah, there's uh, so much to write about from that, that.
3: Just yesterday, a, a friend asked me if there existed some sort of uh, timeline of the membership of the Bitcoin core dev team. And I had to like. Add, it was like, from from what perspective do you mean? Because you have the people who are actually making commits. You have people that maintain the code base. You have people who are merely—I shouldn't say merely—but they're they're not uh, uh, providing code. They're you know making comments and uh, reviewing ideas. There's people who review the code. There's so many. It's such a, a broad range of people that you can't even. There is no, there is no membership. There is no team yeah, right. uh, to even do that. So I, that that's going to make the person who sets out to write that book, I think, has a much more difficult time um, than trying to write a book about any other organization. Yeah,
2: it's so it's so dynamic. So much happening on on all all sides all the time. Yeah.
1: Do you think that like from a, a software development perspective that or a protocol development perspective that bitcoin is moving more slowly than it should or than other projects because i i found it to just it, it like we, we got csv cltv SegWit. like it seems like we got a good pace of of level innovation, but then we have people who are complaining about too slow or too fast. Like you have people yeah. saying there should be ossification of of the code and all that. What do you think make of that? Uh, I,
2: I definitely don't. I definitely don't think it's too slow. Um, I um, Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to finish this.
1: <laughs> yeah, book. it's a moving target.
2: Yeah, exactly. I actually have this. Uh, I have this. Um, a tag that I put on some some uh, paragraphs in the book that that are that I consider moving targets, you know, of, often figures, you know, or I mean uh, numbers that I put up, put in there. Uh, but but yeah, back to the topic of the uh, uh, development pace. I know I I think it has the pace it has and I don't uh, I don't have a I don't have a. I don't have a, a, a say in that. It's just it's just how it is. I mean, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't install software that's rushed on this uh, in this system. Uh, it's it's dangerous. It's a da- it's da- it's a dangerous thing to make changes in Bitcoin. So it should, should be slow. It should be the slowest moving software in in the, in the history.
1: And on that note, like, do do you kind of what's your view on multiple implementations and did you look at as part of writing this book did you kind of compare between bitcoin core and uh btcd or um well, let's see i just
2: i just mentioned them
1: uh bitcoin, yeah. I, yeah
2: yeah I, I just mentioned them and uh, and focus on bitcoin core because that's what everybody uses i mean right. it's this is this is for for beginners um you you will you will encounter these uh, alternatives once you start digging into it. Right. Uh, it's it's not uh, it doesn't help the reader really grok Bitcoin. Uh, I don't think so.
3: I think you're. Uh, uh, do you have something more? No. Oh, uh, you, your point of kind of like the the speed of Bitcoin development is what it is. I I think that's actually a very good point because uh, there like there is no one that's actually in charge of Bitcoin, there is no actual roadmap. And so there, there actually isn't even a metric by which to measure that. Uh, my personal conviction has been that the, the pace will slow as Bitcoin becomes more liquid um, by virtue of the fact that that means that there are more people with more money at stake, meaning they have, you know, you have, I, I always, you know, envision a Mexican standoff and the more people with bigger guns in a bigger Mexican standoff, the harder it is to make those uh, changes.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think so too, I think you nailed it.
1: Do you think that the, p- part of the conversation about the speed of development has to do with the other conversation about developer incentives and how there, there are competing altcoins that have have set up like a way of you know f- from the block reward, giving it to some foundation that then gives it to developers because they think that that makes protocol development go faster and uh, you know outcompete Bitcoin
2: yeah I, I don't know I, I think it's uh, all such schemes are, are kind of fishy I, I don't I don't like uh, those ex- external uh, incentive systems if you if you will. Um, I like the internal incentive system in in Bitcoin, but but external incentive systems are, are, are easily gameable or uh, corruptible. And uh, uh, when when it when when it's small amounts of money, it probably will work pretty good. But uh, once the pile of money grows, uh, you're gonna start seeing a lot of greed and a lot of uh, um, corruption so uh, I I think you're shooting yourself in the foot if you set such systems up in the long run
1: yeah, we saw that happen pretty quickly if with the system is if the
2: system is, uh, the system is uh, successful you will shoot yourself in the foot
1: right a victim of its own success yeah. Um Yeah, and then we, we kind of see with Ethereum, they're already, like, discussing the problems with their their developer incentives, so clearly, I don't think that there's a, a right answer there. Yeah.
2: On the other hand, I have very little insight into other projects. I, I rarely pay attention, uh, so I can't speak too much about it.
3: <laughs> a pure soul.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny, because you mentioned that in the book, you go from... Uh, teaching from with the account system to a UTXO system, whereas like with Ethereum, they went the other direction from the UTXO system to an account system, which
3: uh, has been criticized really? as like not mean, as. Good.
2: They originally, were UTXO. Uh, so oh you, no! I think yeah. no,
3: no. He means that uh, when they developed their thing, one of the changes in like a, a paradigm shift yeah. from the Bitcoin model was oh well, let's have a balance and then. I, you know, I'm, I am I don't keep up with these things. And so I recently find find out that uh, even to set up an Ethereum wallet, uh, I, I, I guess, like, involves having to create a contract that you put out on the Ethereum network. You can't just, like, um, you know, produce an address on your computer and, and receive money or whatever. It's just, like, the whole thing's very strange. And I'd actually be interested to hear your your arguments as to, you know, why why as you're grokking, you know, Bitcoin, why, how to grok UTXOs as a step in the right direction.
2: Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, um, I'll I'll pass on that, I think, is that okay?
1: Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I I found that, what I I found most, most interesting about the UTXO model was this idea of having a locking script and then an unlocking script and the interaction between those two to eventually create kind of more complex smart contracts yeah um,
2: and uh, that that's one of the f- uh, things i had most problems with when i learned about bitcoin that's that is the utxo set and how yeah the, you know the, how, how the the transactions were linked together in, in this transaction graph uh i i had a terrible time actually understanding that.
3: In a sense, it almost uh, models cash a little better too, where it's just kind of free-floating bills, although there's also this magic voodoo where you can combine them and and, uh, separate them. Um, Still, like UTXOs are just these these individual things um, and we really get to see that in action on Lightning Network as well as the meat space lightning network known as Open Dime, um, yeah. where a UTXO is is literally a physical thing that you can hand to people.
0: Yeah.
1: In, in the description of the book, uh, you say, Grokking Bitcoin explains why Bitcoin supporters trust it so deeply and why you can too. D- it's funny because there's like different uses of vocabulary and so like people will use like trustless or trust minimized um, But at the same time, like we do trust Bitcoin. So yeah, right. um, h- How do you think about those different ways of using the word trust?
2: Yeah, first of all, I didn't write the backside of the book uh, <laughs> uh, It was Manning who wrote us who wrote wrote that piece, but I'm pretty pleased with it. Yeah, it's in, exactly as you say it's uh, Instead of trusting people, you now or laws or states, you trust you trust a a piece of software instead. Uh, So you 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 still need to trust the software you download from, well, Bitcoin Core's website, for example. So so uh, you still need need to fully trust something.
1: Or even if you if you wrote your own implementation from scratch and compiled it, uh, you're still having to trust your own code. (laughs)
2: Would we'll never do that. <laughs> yeah, so that's right.
1: Yeah, maybe you should trust your own code a lot less than other people's code <laughs> in <laughs> most
2: cases. Yeah, in my case, especially, yeah.
1: <laughs> Great. Um, and so people can go on Amazon today and order it? Or what's the best way to buy your book?
2: Um, it's it's not in stock yet in the major uh, uh, stores. It's. Right now, it's only available through Manning.com. So I suggest you go to Manning.com and uh, search for Grokking Bitcoin there. Or uh, you can probably put it up in your show notes. Uh, yes,
1: do. we'll do. We'll link to it for our audience. Yeah. Uh, so, and...
2: so Manning has it for immediate delivery. It's It will be available uh, by 5th, 6th or 7th of May in Amazon and all the other big ones.
3: Yeah, it says the EPUB and Kindle will be available on May 7th. And yeah, right. Manning was, was kind enough to give us a uh, discount code for noted listeners. So we will put that in the show notes so that people can get a, a discount and yeah. grok Bitcoin for cheaper. So they can uh, go stack sets after they grok it.
4: Yeah.
1: And Please. it's, it's 40, 480 pages. So that's that's a lot of information. That's a lot of meat.
2: Yeah, it's also a lot of pictures, so it's uh, it's not very dense.
1: <laughs> okay, it's,
2: it's uh, about four hundred and fifty pi- uh, pictures in it, I think.
1: Gotcha. So, awesome. Well, I'm a very, very visual much, learner, so that works for me.
2: Yeah, it's very much driven by concrete examples and and illustrations. So, Excellent. I really hope you you like it.
3: Yeah, I'm absolutely. Very much looking forward to giving this a read. And I saw that
1: you, you got a forward from David Harding, who was the first guest on the noted podcast uh many moons ago. Um so ha- how do you know David and, and uh how did you convince him to write the forward because he, he's hard to get a hold of.
2: Oh I, I don't know. Um I actually don't know how that happened. I I I think he, you know. Liked my my tweets or something a few times, and I just thought that this guy is excellent. Uh, so I, I think I I, I just emailed him asking him to write this forward, and he was uh, he said he was excited to do it. So that <laughs> huh? was no 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 problems. As you he, were writing, he was very very uh, very kind and um, very encouraging. He's uh, He's one of the great greatest persons in Bitcoin That's, that I that sounds know. That's exactly he's just like David. Just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I had the, the same reaction when he accepted to come on the Noted podcast. I was like, "Wow, all right, that was unexpected. <laughs> Let's do this." Yeah.
3: He's he's uh, he's definitely one of my very favorite people in the space. When when you were writing this book, um, did you uh, did you you know interact with the Bitcoin community at all and and were able to find help uh, from the community, and if so, pretty easily.
2: Yeah, uh, the, my main sources of, of, of for help was Twitter, Stack Exchange. Uh, yeah, and, and, yeah, Twitter and Stack Stack Exchange was my main sources, uh, and on Stack Exchange we have those. Uh, Three legends. You have merch, you have Peter Wooler, and you have David Harding. Those three guys has been extremely valuable uh, on both Twitter and on Stack Exchange uh, with various stupid questions from me, and they they are so uh, generous with their with their with their time. It's just yes. amazing. I don't I don't I don't understand how they get anything done when they do this when they help people this much. Um, so I'm I'm humbled and I'm very, very grateful
3: for all their help.
2: It's been uh, priceless.
3: It goes to show you just how toxic the Bitcoin community is. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: It's so toxic. <laughs> I'm going to rage quit right
3: after this book.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that, uh, but that's great to hear. Um, yeah, that that you know, uh, you know that the Bitcoin community is there to answer these questions, and I do highly recommend people. You know, if you're reading cracking Bitcoin or programming Bitcoin, and you have questions, you should always be um, throwing them out on Twitter or Stack Exchange, and someone's going to be there to help you uh, because we're all we all want each other to understand these things better.
1: Yeah. yeah, and if if you tag one of us to make sure we see it, and we don't know the answer. Like I just retweet people who who tag me in questions that I don't know the answer to because I know that someone out there has the answer. It's just not me, but uh, we can we can help people out that way too.
2: Can I ask you, Pierre? How many fo- how how many people do you follow? Because every single person I see on Twitter is followed by you. It says followed by Pierre. How many? So, how many in your follow list?
1: I, I think it's three thousand, um, <laughs> and. I I generally I follow anyone who um is who seems to agree with me yeah. and it t- turns out there's 3000 people out there who, <laughs> who might agree with me so yeah. uh, th- those are those are easy people to to follow and w- what it allows is that I because of how Twitter's algorithm is where they say okay here, this tweet was liked by five people that you follow, and it actually brings it up to the top. And I think that it's it's it means that I've seen like I get to see um, tweets that are really interesting that aren't necessarily like being put out by you know a, a thought leader or someone like that. It's 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 a bitcoiner who might have like twenty followers, um, yeah. but because I follow three thousand, you know that uh, twenty of those might overlap. Um, and I found that, like, there's wh- what's what's most amazing to me about Bitcoin is how there are people who are new to Bitcoin, who joined, you know, last year, who already grok it better than people who have been in Bitcoin for five years. You know, like yeah, this
2: me awful lot. <laughs>
1: It's very impressive how fast people are able to learn, and yeah, uh, I think your book will will help
3: with that even more. I really hope so. That was the first good argument I've heard for following a lot of people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't just follow anyone either. Like, I, it's important to cultivate an echo chamber, and so that it's it's mostly people that that you agree with. And the, I, I say that jokingly, but the reality is that like. Within Bitcoiners, within like the hardcore Bitcoiners, there are very strong disagreements and different points of views on different issues. And so it's not like I we just pat each other on the back and agree with each other all day. Uh, there's actually very um, interesting debates going on uh, about Bitcoin that aren't, they're they're not debates that you'll hear if you only follow people who are either, you know, Surface level Bitcoiners, or uh, they're they're interested in crypto or blockchain. Like uh, you're not going to hear them debating Bip 157, Neutrino, light client technology. Like yeah, you have to go to Bitcoiners to hear that debate. There's between Bitcoiners.
3: Something that people don't understand about that echo chamber mindset is, uh, you know, on the one hand, yes, like it keeps out you know opposing points of view in many ways, but on the other hand. Uh, I, I don't remember where I got the term, and I don't even remember if I'm getting the term right, but it was something like along the lines of uh, inference differential. And it was this idea of when you meet a random person, what is the difference just by virtue of how you've lived your life that you would have to like, you know, get to the, like think of how much you have to spend debating with someone of just like the definitions of words before you can even get to an argument. And as you get deeper and deeper into ideas, um, it becomes more and more difficult to do that. And so this is why, like, you know, if you cultivate the echo chamber, it's like you, you, you get rid of, like, a lot of, like, you're specifically interested in getting deeper into those ideas. And so you're cultivating the people that can actually manage to do that uh, without having to go through, you know, 20 years of, you know, debating definitions before you can even make a substantial point yeah
1: yeah that's, uh, and so with with your book we'll be able to have a common language and it establishes a lot of the groundwork that then when people want to go on Twitter and debate some of these issues, they have the like substantive knowledge of mm-hmm. how the underlying system works so that their arguments are at least you know cogent, and we can we can understand them instead of like getting tripped up on having different definitions of what. Yeah, this yes. or that means, or, or at
2: least you will be able to link to to uh, some paragraph in the book that 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 you know uh, specifies one definition of a word. <laughs> uh, this is what I mean by by yes. a hard fork uh, yes. and link to my book, because it's going to be open source, uh, oh, so you will be able to to you know link to it, and it on- online. Uh, yeah, I'm really proud of having it open sourced. Uh, it's
1: absolutely.
2: Great way to give back.
1: How, I mean, I imagine that was challenging, though, with the because the publishing industry is just not used to doing that.
2: No, really, uh, right. Um, uh, it took <clears throat> it took uh, some convincing uh, from my side, actually, uh, but it, it was a requirement uh, because you don't get rich from writing a technical book. Uh, it will actually cost me a lot of money because I could spend the time consulting instead for make lots lots and lots of more money um so i think i i'd rather i'd I'd rather use that time to benefit the the community than to actually benefit the bottom line of this private company manning Mm i am not saying that they shouldn't make money they should make money they should make tons of money <laughs> but my time when i when i uh give of my time I, w- I want it to be as useful as possible and uh i I think open sourcing the book is one step in that direction
1: uh, yeah and i I look forward to promoting the book because if if it's a commercial success then that means that we'll we'll get you know, version two and we'll get grokking lightning and we'll get future books. So we got to make sure that there's a good momentum behind it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and now the Bitcoin, like the Bitcoiners bookshelf is starting to fill up. Now we've got Dean's book, uh, The Bitcoin Standard. We've got Mastering Bitcoin, we've got Programming Bitcoin from Jimmy Song and yeah. now Grokking Bitcoin. Uh, From college, you also
2: have this uh, Bitcoin money. Yes, by uh, Rabbi Rabbi. Rabbi the other a few weeks back,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, and it's good. It it, it, each one covers a different demographic, and I think that uh, reading them all, there's there's going to be overlap for sure. But I also think that because everyone has a different way of explaining something and. Uh, They're going to cover like different little facts on the sides as well that you get a very big holistic picture of Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly.
2: And you can pick and choose the learning style you like.
3: I recommend that uh, professional economists start with uh, Bitcoin money by the Bitcoin rabbi (laughs) uh, before they move on to the Bitcoin standard. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I ordered it. It's a really cute book.
3: It's, it's actually, it's, it's a very good book. Uh, I, was, I was, like, I expected, you know, the Bitcoin Rabbi is, is great and a friend, and I expected it to be a good thing. I was blown away by how well it just sort of was able to condense uh, the ideas. Like, when I was reading it, I could totally imagine a five-year-old understanding the basics of money and Bitcoin as money. Yeah, that's fantastic.
2: I haven't received it yet. So it's, it's on its way, I hope.
3: So, Kelly, I think that it would be helpful for uh,
1: the, the parents who are Bitcoiners if we also get kind of a technical Bitcoin book aimed maybe at, like, middle schoolers. Um, so kids who, I, I think middle school starts at the age of, like, 10 or 11, mm-hmm. uh, but around that that age, so that they can start, like, understanding what a block is, what a UTXO is, and and... I have a um, yeah a children's version of cracking Bitcoin.
2: Yeah, I had a I had a reviewer of the book who actually had a pretty good idea uh, for the next edition. Uh, that I you know I have di- different strata of the books uh, of the book. So uh, each chapter has a, a very sim- simple first part and a drill down second part where you you know not the uh the difficulty, uh, so that uh, you can take the fast lane, just you know the the uh, the executive lane, if you will, yeah, the preschool or mid secondary school lane, um, and then if you really want to grok it, you should read the second parts of each chapter as well. Um, but that's that's for another edition,
1: right? For sure. And what, you know, if you, I guess this is not a fair question to ask because it's so soon, but if you could do something different with the book, what, what would it be?
2: Uh, I, would, I would probably, if I would start over, uh, I would, well, not content-wise, but I would, I would try to engage uh, 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 a good expert early on uh, to actually fact-check because I have uh, I haven't I, ha- I haven't really done that uh, so I have you know discovered errors as we go and had to rewrite some some parts of the book as we go uh, and it also helps with the confidence in the book if a, a really good expert has uh, you know, verified everything um, but uh, Content-wise, I would probably uh, discuss less about uh, SPV wallets, uh, bloom filters, and that stuff uh, because it's going away anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Uh, and uh, what else? I think I would merge chapter six and seven because uh, I I teach the I, chapter six is about the blockchain. And in chapter six, uh, the blockchain is uh, each block is signed by this Lisa character, this character I talked about in the beginning. She, you know, the miner Lisa, the centralized miner, she signs every block with her with her with her private key. And then in chapter seven, we add proof of work to this blockchain. Uh, I would that transition from chapter six to seven was a bit awkward. I think uh, it's understandable. It's 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 good enough, but but. I could probably improve that by merging the chapters uh, somehow. So that's, uh, that's a, a glitch, if you will, I, yeah, that I could improve on.
1: Cool. So what are you going to do with... Uh, uh, oh, I already asked you this with, with your, your free time. You're going to spend it on Netflix, much to uh, Michael's consternation. Yeah,
2: I don't, I don't think
1: I'll have... I it. I don't have to sit around and watch
3: Netflix. I'm happy.
2: Yeah, we're, we're actually, uh, me and my wife are working together on a, on a multi-sig wallet project that we started a few months back now. Interesting, is, that's, that's kind yeah, of, multi-sig is very hard. It is, uh, there is, there is no good wallet that actually does multi-sigs in a, in a very user-friendly way. Uh, so our idea is, is, uh, is to have Three USB sticks with three operating systems, uh, an operating system on each that you boot on a on a computer, uh, and so so each stick has an operating system and a key or an, an X XPRV. Sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, so you and then you have a you have you have an online an online machine uh, that we call Mama, and then we have. Uh, three sisters and those three USB sticks are the sisters So two or three sisters need to sign each transaction and, and you have you move uh, PSBT if you know what that is uh, Partly partially signed Bitcoin transaction You move that between the main computer the mama and the sisters on on a on another USB stick and everything happens as soon as you pu- push the USB stick into a sister it will pop up a question asking you to sign, uh, sign the transaction and it will, when you click OK, it will actually, it will be written down on the, on the USB stick again so you can transfer it easily to the, to Mama and when you put it into Mama, Mama will ask you if you wanna uh, broadcast the transaction and you're done. So, so you, you remove all the unnecessary, uh, you know, saving to USB stick transfer and, uh, importing uh <laughs> yeah uh, have you done have you done um uh, multi with with electrum
1: uh no i tried it once with the copay wallet i don't know if you remember that it was like made by bitpay a long time ago mm-hmm. uh but i we never ended up really using it so i don't uh, yeah. have a lot of experience with multi-sig
2: that was a really really good attempt that's actually solving multisig. For smaller amounts, because it's online wallets, it wasn't feasible for you couldn't do it offline. But but it was a great great uh, way to implement multisig, I think. But they, uh, I don't know what happened to Copay. uh, BitPay was kind of, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Do do you do you guys know what happened?
1: Um, I don't want (laughs) to speculate. Although I I love speculating, but not on this. (laughs) Right. All right, I've got to get going guys. This was a very fun conversation and I am very excited about getting the book and and reading through it. And uh, because I, you know, you can learn as much as you want about Bitcoin, but sitting down and reading a book about it never gets old. (laughs) (laughs) Always learn something new. Yeah, yeah.
2: I really hope uh, your listeners will enjoy this book. Awesome. And Thanks, please make, uh, use the promo code on the on their web web page.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll put the promo code in the show notes. So if you are interested in, in getting the book, and I highly recommend all of our listeners go out and buy the book on um, on Manning's website. And Manning is with two N's, M-A-N-N-I-N-G dot com slash books slash grocking with two K's, G-R-O-K-K-I-N-G dash Bitcoin. And um, then also you can find Kelly on, on Twitter. Um, what's your Twitter handle, Kelly?
2: It's Kali uh, Rosenbaum with one, one word, Kelly Rosenbaum.
1: And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, is there anything else you wanted to, to promote before we uh, head off?
2: No, I'm really tired now. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, um, yeah, I'm finished. Great! It was a real pleasure to talk to you guys. I really uh, enjoyed it. I was pretty nervous, uh, but it, it went okay.
1: That's all right. It, it it gets easier as you do more podcasts, um, yeah. and you you kind of develop a, a script of of uh, little snippets that you want to put out. And uh, it, it's I remember like the first podcast I did. I was very like you're thinking about the audience and the listener and like, once you stop doing that and you just start having a conversation with someone and you forget that you're being recorded, uh, it, it just helps a lot.
3: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, what What, I admire coming out through Manning soon by Pierre (laughs) Rochard.
1: Well, what, what, what I found interesting was that, uh, Manning was so involved in the process. Uh, and that because like today people are always like oh don't don't use an editor don't use a publisher go self-publish on amazon and you know print your own book but they do add a lot of value if they're really good at what they do
2: yeah yeah that's uh totally true uh, i i would never have been able to write this book without manning's help it's just they have taught me so much about pedagogy and how to write and, and you know uh everything it's 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 been great. You should have seen my first drafts on the first few chapters. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, oh, being...
1: programming, right? Like it's it's good to have a code review, to have other eyeballs on it from exactly. professionals. All right, Michael, any any last thoughts for you, Michael? No, once again,
3: thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure to finally get to talk to you.
2: Yeah, thank you too. It's, it's a pleasure, true pleasure.
3: All right, bye guys.
2: OK, bye.
4: If you get hold of two magnets and you push them, you can feel this pushing mm-hmm. between them. Turn it around the other way and, it, and they slam together. Now, what is it, the feeling between those two magnets? What do you mean, what's the feeling between well, the two th- magnets? Th- there's something when there, only... isn't there? I mean, that, the sensation is that there's something there when you push these two magnets together. Listen to my question. What is the meaning when you say that there's, that there's a feeling? Of course you feel it. Now, what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on.
0: The between these two, bits,
4: these two bits of metal? Magnets repel each other. And, well, then, what does, that, but what does that mean, or why are they doing that, or how are they doing it? Uh, you're asking... I, I must say, I think that's a perfectly reasonable question Of course it's ask. a reasonable, it's an excellent question, okay? Uh, but the problem that you're asking... You see, when you ask why something happens, how does a person answer why something happens? For example, Aunt Minnie is in the hospital. Why? Because she slipped, she went out and she slipped on the ice and broke her hip. That satisfies it, people. It satisfies, but it wouldn't satisfy someone who came from another planet, knew nothing about things. You first you understand why, when you break your hip, do you go to the hospital? How do you get to the hospital with the, when the hip was broken? Well, because her husband, seeing that she had the hip was broken, called the hospital up and sent somebody to get her. All that is understood by people. Now, when you explain a, a why, you have to be in some framework that you allow something to be true. Otherwise, you're perpetually asking why. Why did the husband call up the hospital? Because husband is interested in his wife's welfare. Not always, some husbands aren't interested in their wife's wealth when they're drunk and they're angry. And so you begin to get a very interesting understanding of the world and all its complications. In order to, to if you try to follow anything up, you go deeper and deeper in various directions. If, for example, you could go, why did she slip on the ice? Well, ice is slippery. Everybody knows that, no problem. But you ask, why is ice slippery? That's kind of curious. Ice is extremely slippery. It's very interesting. You say, how does it work? You could, you see, so you could either say, I'm satisfied that you've answered me, ice is slippery, that explains it. Or you could go on and say, why is ice slippery? And then you're involved with something because there aren't many things as slippery as ice. It's very hard to get. Greasy stuff, but that's sort of wet and slimy. But a solid that's so slippery? Because it is in the case of ice that when you stand on it, they say, Momentarily the pressure melts the ice a little bit so you got a sort of instantaneous water surface on which you're slipping. Why on ice and not on other things? Because ice expands when it water expands when it freezes so the pressure tries to undo the expansion and melts it. Is capable of melting it. But other substances contract when they're freezing and when you push them they're just as satisfied to be solid. Why does water expand when it freezes and other substances don't expand when they freeze? All right? I'm I'm not answering your question, but I'm telling you how difficult a why question is. You have to know what it is that you're permitted to understand and allow to be understood and known, and what it is you're not. You'll notice in this example that the more I ask why, it gets interesting afterwards. That's my idea that the deeper a thing is, the more interesting it is. And uh, we could even go further and say, why did she fall down when she slipped? That has to do with gravity, it involves in all the planets and everything else. Never mind, it goes on and on. Now when you ask, for example, why two magnets repel, there are many different levels. It depends on whether you're a student of physics or an ordinary person who doesn't know anything or not. If you're somebody who doesn't know anything at all about it, all I can say is that there's a magnetic force that makes them repel, and that you're feeling that force. And you say, but that's very strange, because I don't feel kind of force like that in other circumstances when you turn them the other way, they attract. There's a very analogous force, electrical force, which is the same kind of a question. And you say, that's also very weird. But you're not at all disturbed by the fact that when you put your hand on the chair, it pushes you back. But we found out by looking at it that that's the same force as a matter of fact, the electrical force, not magnetic exactly in that case, but it's the same electrical repulsions that are involved in keeping your finger away from the chair because everything's made out of its electrical forces in minor, in microscopic details. There's other forces involved, but this is, uh, is connected to electrical forces. It turns out that the magnetic and the electric force with which I wish to explain these things, this, this repulsion in the first place, is what ultimately is the deeper thing that we have to start, that we can start with, to explain many other things that looked like they were, everybody would just accept them. You know, you can't put your hand through the chair. That's taken for granted but that you can't put your hand through the chair when looked at more closely why It involves these same repulsive forces that appear in magnets. The situation you then have to explain is why in magnets it goes over a bigger distance than ordinarily. And there it has to do with the fact that in iron all the electrons are spinning in the same direction. They all get lined up and they magnify the effect of the force until it's large enough at a distance that you can feel it. But it's a force which is present all the time, and very common, and is in a basic force of, almost, I mean I can go a little further back if I were more technical, but at an early level, I just have to, have to tell you that's going to be one of the things you'll just have to take as an element in the world, the existence of magnetic repulsion, or electrical, for electrical attraction, magnetic attraction. I can't explain that attraction in terms of anything else that's familiar to you. For example, if we said the magnets attract like as if they were connected by rubber bands, I would be cheating you. Because they're not connected by rubber bands, I shouldn't be in trouble. You'd soon ask me about the nature of the bands. And secondly, if you were curious enough, you'd ask me why rubber bands tend to pull back together again, and I would end up explaining that in terms of electrical forces, which are the very things that I'm trying to use the rubber bands to explain, so I have cheated very badly, you see. So I'm not going to be able to give you an answer to why magnets attract each other, except to tell you that they do, and to tell you that that's one of the elements in the world of the different kinds of forces. There are electrical forces, magnetic forces, gravitational forces, and others, and those are some of the parts. If you were a student, you'd go fur- I could go further, I could tell you that the magnetic forces are related to the electrical forces very intimately that our relationship between the gravity forces and electrical forces remains unknown, and so on. But I really can't do a good job, any job, of explaining magnetic force in terms of something else that you're more familiar with, because I don't understand
0: it in terms of anything else that you're more familiar with.